Habits and Health, episode 63. Welcome to the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome to Habits and Health, the podcast where we give you ideas for creating habits for improving your health. My guest today, Dawn Kakao. She's an author and qualified nutritional therapist and recently launched her radical new book aimed at readers who want to discover their unique path to lasting weight loss. The book is called The Body Effect and we talk about the book and what led her to uh, creating the book and many other aspects of Dawn's life. So that's coming up in, uh, in a couple of moments. If you do enjoy this episode, please do share it with someone who you feel will get some real benefit. Hope you enjoy this week's show. Habits and health. My guest today, Dawn Kukau. How are you doing, Dawn? Uh, great, thanks. Excited to be here, Tony. And it's it's actually, well, I, I haven't had so many guests that are so geographically close to me. You're only uh, <laughs> relatively a few miles away, aren't you? I am pretty much down the road. <laughs> Dawn, what is it that you do? And are you, um, tell us more about that. How did you get into, into this line of work? Oh, well, how I got into nutritional therapy was sort of, it wasn't really by plan. I, I used to suffer from terrible, terrible period pains. And the doctors were saying the next step was an exploratory operation, but I wasn't really wanting to go there. And I went to see a nutritional therapist, not really expecting great things. But um, I went to see her and I made some changes to my diet. And within three months, I never had period pains again. And that's why I ended up going to study nutritional therapy myself. And so how long ago was that? That was, I graduated, it was a three-year course, and I graduated, I know exactly when I graduated, because my oldest daughter is nearly 13, and I graduated just before she was born, literally a few weeks before she was born. Wow. And so when you say the, the period pains, would that be along the lines of endometriosis? No, it was one of these things where there was no apparent reason for it. Um, they couldn't explain why, and I think that's why they wanted to do the exploratory operation. Right. But I'm, I'm, you know, sometimes obviously you need medical intervention, but I'm not a great fan of it unless you absolutely have to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So you so you were sold on it. And now how well, since you've been actually practicing it, how, how has it been? Really interesting. So right from the start, I was specializing in weight loss because whilst I was still training, I was in training clinic. And so one of my very first clients in training clinic was this woman who came to me for weight loss. And we worked out this plan together and she was really excited about it. And she came back to see me for the second and last time I could see her in training clinic. And she'd gained half a stone. And she hadn't been able to follow the plan. And what had happened was we take, because we changed her diet, we'd taken away the controls that she had in place that she used to manage her overeating. But I couldn't really let this go because I'd, I'd wanted to help this lady and I'd actually made things worse. And so that ended up ultimately leading to years and years of research into what triggers cravings, what triggers the desire to overeat. And I, you know, I read lots of studies and then I put that together in a course and I worked with a psychotherapist for a while and together we ran courses but then we did that for a couple of years, but then COVID hit and everything became more complicated. And I realized that everything I did had to be simplified. And not every, some people still needed the psychological side, but not everyone does. Um, and so I then started putting together a course and ran a, a 
a course just each week making step-by-step changes that people could tailor to the imbalances in their body. So the first part of what I did was to help people trigger, discover what's triggering their cravings, what's triggering their desire to overeat, why are they storing belly fat? And it can be different reasons for different people. Then when you know that, you can actually use food therapeutically to target those imbalances. So that's what I was doing in the course. I was helping people make changes that targeted the imbalances in their body, but also that fitted their dietary preferences and requirements. Because if you're going to sustain a healthy way of eating, it's got to be something that you enjoy. And so I'm just, as, as you were speaking, and one of the things that was going through my mind, and, and I should probably ask this later, but there's, we hear a lot about, I, I, well, I imagine there's a lot of confusion outside, in the public, about what is a nutritionist? What is a nutritionist coach? What's a dietitian? Could you just briefly explain the difference between these different things? Okay. It, also, I think it depends on what country you're in. Like, I think in America, they use different terms to what we do. But a lot of the training, I think, is fairly similar. But um, a nutritionist, a dietitian tends to work in hospitals or within like the NHS. A nutritionist may be more involved in industry, uh, I believe. Now I'm wondering why I'm telling you this exactly right. And a nutritional therapist, which is what I am, we work with individuals and we look at, we look at the whole picture holistically and help them to make changes. So is it? Typically, then individuals just contact and you find you on your website sort of thing. Would that be how you find your clients? I used to work with individuals, but now I'm just doing group work. So I have two courses out there. My first one is just a course that you can do on your own. It takes about 90 minutes. And so there's 11 modules. And each one is a very short description, a short video, a sort of animated video explaining why this imbalance makes you gain weight. So there's one, for example, on stress, one on female hormones, one if you're low in certain nutrients, etc. So by the end of that, you know exactly, you know, which imbalances in your body are blocking your weight loss. And then the second course I do is a group course. It's a three-month group course. And that's where we go through and actually looking at making the changes. And so the people that you're working with, are there any um, issues illnesses whatever that are quite typical that people come to see you in the first place is there like a one that's quite often you're talking with people about well one that does seem to come up quite a bit is high cholesterol right and again that is quite whilst losing weight can help with that it's also what you eat can also have quite a big effect and I think this is the thing about working holistically when you look at the whole body when you make one change that helps one area it has a knock-on effect on other areas. And yeah. quite a lot of people feel when they do the first part of the course where they discover which imbalances they have, they're quite shocked to find they have quite a lot of imbalances. But I always say, mm. don't worry about that because it might sound like a lot, but as you start to bring one into balance, that they're all kind of, inter- they're often interrelated. Mm. So to so, give you an example, if you have blood sugar imbalances that might be contributing to your stress, Because when your blood sugar drops too low, your body releases stress hormones to push it back up. Mm. And it can also have a knock-on effect on your female hormones. So once Mm. you start to do one thing, like balance your blood sugar or address your stress levels, then it helps your female hormones too. So have you had any people who, well, have you been able to help people with, say, I don't know, early diabetes or or, or even full-blown diabetes to 
to to revert or reduce or even eradicate medications, for example? Well, I haven't worked specifically with people with diabetes, but when you right. start, one of the things I do do is look at balancing your blood sugar levels because that's so key to everything, to controlling your appetite, to reducing mm. cravings. And when you control your blood sugar levels well, then it's something you'd have to discuss with your doctor, but it can help you control your diabetes. Right. And what other typical conditions are you are would be able would be helped by seeing a nutritional therapist? Oh, um, for example, any inflammatory conditions like in fact, pretty much anything like so from inflammatory conditions like arthritis or I mean weight issues, um, infertility, um, menopausal problems. I mean, pretty much anything. Because our diet is so fundamental to, to our whole well-being. And what about if someone's having, say, problems with sleep? Would, would, would nutrition, change in nutrition help with something like that? Oh, I think sleep is one of those really, really complex things. Now, for some people, I think there's certain things you can do and it will help a bit. But for others, the, the problems may require extra things. I wouldn't like to say sleep is one of the key things it can really help with, although some people may find some benefits. So, I mean, there's very okay. simple things you can do with sleep, like like don't have any, a meal late in the evening hmm. because that doesn't help your sleep. Um, and actually, in the same way, eating late in the evening can actually encourage your body to store more fat. So hmm. for many, many reasons, it's better to eat earlier in the evening. Try not to eat after, say, 8 p.m. And if someone has, say, sugar cravings, what, how, how are you able to help someone with something like that? Well, there's a number of different things that can be contributing to sugar cravings. And so I think it's really important to start bringing your whole body back into balance. So we mentioned your blood sugar imbalances. Um, mm. Female hormone imbalances can also lead to cravings at, you know, just premenstrually is quite common. So there's, there's quite a number mm. of different things. But there's also quite a lot of things you can do. So while it takes a while to bring your body back into balance, you may still have the cravings. So what do you do then? And different things work for different people. So, for example, milk products contain lactose, which is a milk sugar, but isn't sweet. Mm. So you may find that having a pot of plain yogurt helps. And one of my clients found that eating cottage cheese with carrot sticks really helped, get, you know, helped her control her sugar cravings. Mm. Green vegetable membranes um, contain a substance that can reduce sugar cravings. So maybe having a green smoothie sweetened with a bit of fruit Hmm. or if you really just want something sweet maybe you could make some some muffins or some alternative kind of cakes or biscuits that are sweetened with dates rather than with sugar because right. although they have the the sweetness they also contain nutrients and fiber hmm. so they they can actually avoid that then dip of making you crave more sugar later on right what well, since you've been since you qualified and you're actually now working with people, what, what has been, has there been any part of it that's really surprised you and what you're in, how you're working with people or, or the types of issues people are bringing to you? Well, I think one of the things that's really stood out to me is that people often feel a lot of shame around their overeating hmm. or feel shame because they're eating foods that they've deemed are unhealthy. Right. And when people figure out how their body is triggering those cravings, how their body is triggering them to overeat, I've heard a number of people say it's taken away the shame about their overeating. Mm. 
And that seems to be such a common thing. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you're looking for the fastest and most effective way to transform your energy and well-being, we invite you to join Tony for an upcoming Habits and Health workshop. This five-week group workshop will empower you with tools to disrupt unwanted habits and make positive changes easy. You'll enjoy sounder sleep, better energy, less stress and a happier mood. Workshops begin on the first week of every month and you can sign up now at tonywinyard.com. Now back to the show. Omega-3 fats, you know, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of confusion between about omega-3s and omega-6s and ratios, and it's just a, a subject of confusion for many people. So maybe you could help us with that as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a really important one. Um, okay, so omega-3 fats, they're in things like oily fish, um, chia seed, flax seed, little and hemp seed, and some in green leafy vegetables. But most people are very low in omega-3 fats, and omega-3 fats are anti-inflammatory. They're always anti-inflammatory in your body. Now, omega-6 fats are really, really important. Your body can't make them, so we have to get them from our diet. But omega-6 fats can either be inflammatory in your body or anti-inflammatory. And it depends on the conditions in your body. Now, if you have a lot of omega-6 fats in relation to omega-3 fats, they're more likely to become inflammatory. And most people today, I think they reckon that we now eat between 16 to 20 times more omega-6 to omega-3, whereas our distant ancestors would have had roughly equal levels. So a lot of people, for example, for hormone imbalances, they supplement omega-6 fats. But if you're going to do that, you should really be supplementing the omega-3 fats as well. Otherwise, you're increasing the risk of them being inflammatory in your body. And there's so many conditions that people suffer with today that are inflammatory. And what a lot of people don't realize is that obesity is actually an inflammatory condition. So if people want to try to get that ratio back to closer to one to one, like it used to be, what kind of things would they, would you advise people to do? Okay. So just because something contains omega-6 fats doesn't mean that you should cut it out, but it's looking Mm. at where you're getting them from. And if you eat a lot of processed foods, you're almost inevitably going to be having a high omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. So the Mm. first thing I would say is really try to reduce your processed foods. And for many, many reasons, not just the omega-6 fats, but that, you know, that is Mm. one of the reasons. Mm. And then to start looking at your omega-3 fat intake, because most people don't take in enough omega-3 fats. So Mm. if you eat oily fish, those omega-3 fats are in the form that your body um, can utilize most it's the form that your body uses whereas the form mm. from plant sources they're good still good forms but they have to be converted in your body and that conversion isn't always very efficient so as i said if you're mm. a, if you're a fish eater try to eat oily fish a couple of times a week if you're if you don't eat fish then um omega-3 um chia seed and flaxseed especially if they're ground can be added onto your cereals or into yogurts and that they're really good things to include. And, and I believe you've got a habit around omega, omega-3s, haven't you? I do. For me, it's one of the easiest things. I, I love chia porridge. I make chia porridge for breakfast pretty often. And I, I have in my fridge, I always have ground chia seed and ground flaxseed. And I add them on. I just I add a sprinkle a little bit onto my, my breakfast. 
And and so how how is the rest of the porridge? What do you what kind of oats do you use and, and so on and milk oh, and whatever? So for chia porridge, I soak chia whole chia seed in some coconut milk. You can use whatever type of milk you like. I just particularly happen okay. to really like it with coconut milk. And then you leave it for half an hour, or you can prepare it the night before. Then for me, I quite like to add oats in the morning. I don't add them the night before because right. I prefer them just added later. They're not quite so soft. And then I just have that with fruit and nuts and maybe sprinkle some ground cheer on it as well. And that's actually, for me, it's one of my favourite breakfasts. And what about things like, you know, there's many different types of oats, like rolled oats and, and is it steel cut? And there's many different types. What, what do you think about all the different types of oats? Okay, so the finer the oats are, so if you're buying oats, you don't really want to get the quick cooker, quick cook oats because they'll have more effect on your blood sugar levels because they're, they're broken down more. Hmm. But just the regular rolled oats you can buy in the shops that are, are great to eat. Right. And they have many, many benefits. I mean, oats are one of the staples in our family. Right. Well, and on the, 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 that topic, well, closely related, the whole – there's a lot of bad – negative press i guess been given to to grains in general over the last few years what what are your views on grains i think it's like all of these things it's most people i believe can handle grains and one of the ones and they contain lots of nutrients but what you want to be doing is to eat them in the whole grain version not the refined version because the refined Mm. grains have had the fiber and nutrients removed So we've talked about blood sugar a lot today, and they're not good for your blood sugar. They're not good for your appetite regulation system. Um, You really want to be taking in a lot of nutrients because that helps you feel less hungry. Hmm. So it's the type of grain that you're eating. And the other thing is that a lot of people, especially in the UK, we eat a lot of wheat. You know, you might have um, a wheat-based cereal for breakfast. You might have a sandwich for lunch. You might have a cake or a biscuit in the afternoon. You might have pasta for dinner. And that's an awful lot of wheat. And as with any one food, not just wheat, it's best to eat a variety of foods. I mean, there are some people that yeah. are gluten intolerant. It's one of the most common intolerances. And those people are best avoiding it. Mm. But for most people, they're, you know, they're, they're fine to include. And they're also a really good source of things like B vitamins. And if you start taking out any one type of food group, then you've got to be really careful you're getting your nutrients elsewhere. And so what about things like sourdough bread, for example? Why why would people choose sourdough bread over conventional bread? Well, sourdough bread is the, that it's been more fermented. And when things are fermented, they're more broken down, they're easier for our bodies to digest. And so we, we, we talked about habits just now as regarding your omega-3 fats and how, you, how you've made that into a habit for quite a long time. What, are there any other habits that, you, um, that you've worked on? Do you know what? One of the, more, the omega-3 habit is a habit that I have been doing for a very, very long time. Another habit that I've only started doing last year was I read Hal Elrond's book, The Miracle Morning. Hmm. And I started getting up. As a result of that, I started getting an hour earlier every day. And then the way Heilrod does, he has like 10 minutes for exercise, 10 minutes for visualizations, 10 minutes for meditation, etc. And I, I did follow that exactly for a while. But then what I started doing is I started getting up an hour earlier and having 10 minutes where I meditated. And then I rebounded for half an hour. I sometimes throw other things in, but those two are my, my kind of ones that are just absolutely every day. 
And I really like it for a number of reasons. I mean, I, I work, I've got kids, and it can be very hard when you're, when you're a working mum to feel that you've got any space just to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I like getting up early in the morning and having that time to myself before everyone else is getting up. And it feels like real me time. And it feels like I've got headspace then as well. And it also makes you feel more productive throughout the day. And again, when you're kind of busy and things can get quite stressful, managing your stress is so important. And it makes you feel less stressed getting up earlier. Yeah. Mm. And you've, um, didn't you, you wrote a book, was it last year or the year before you wrote a book? No, this year it was published in January, oh, so only two months ago. Wow. And well, so how, how is the book doing since it's been published? Oh, it's done amazingly well. It became an Amazon bestseller, which was really amazing. But what's been really incredible to me is all the feedback, people putting reviews on Amazon, people emailing me, you know, strangers who picked up my book and telling me how much it's impacted their life and how they they suddenly understand why diets haven't worked for them. And it's just given them hope that they can actually shift things. So was the was the central aim of the book around sort of dieting and weight loss? It's not really a diet book. In many ways, it's an anti-diet book. And whilst wow. it's about weight loss, because it's structured about finding out what's, how your body blocks your weight loss, whether that's through cravings, whether that's through triggering overeating, or whether it's because it's not willing to let go of fat, um, it's been really interesting to hear from people who've read the book either because they're in the industry or because it was recommended to them and haven't particularly wanted to lose weight and said how much it's helped them too. So it's really a health book, but it's kind of focused on weight. It's actually about making habits, new habits. So instead of doing what many people do, they go on a diet, they might lose a bit of weight, then they come off their diet and they end up putting on the weight. And in many, many cases, they end up heavier than when they started. It's actually about looking at sustainable changes, sustainable changes that get to the root issues of your weight so that actually it's not a quick fix, but as you lose the weight, the weight stays off. And is it aimed at any sort of particular type of person like age group or any kind of demographic or just sort of general? I've predominantly worked with women, although some men are picking it up and finding it useful. It's not so much a particular demographic, but it's more that people who who aren't looking for that quick fix, they're not going to lose 10 pounds in 10 days. It's the people that know that that diets haven't worked for them and actually want to be be healthy. There's a really big focus on health, you know, balancing your whole body and who want to look at making long-term habits, if you like, that enable them to have a healthy lifestyle to to feel good. Mm. And what, what was the inspiration behind the book? When did you decide or how did that all come about? Oh, gosh, this is a really long, non-linear process. This. So originally, after, shortly after I graduated, I was working with a psychotherapist and we started gathering all this material. And we wrote a book that was never published, but we wrote alternate chapters. And we tried to get that published, but didn't get very far. So that book just got put aside and we started running courses from that. And then more recently, I was restructuring all, I restructured all my course and everything and redid it. And it was from there that the idea of doing the book, the, the book came. So part one of my book matches to my, my mini course, the one that people can do in their own time and find out what, how their body is blocking their weight loss. And then the second part of the book matches to the group course I do where you, you actually make the changes. Right. 
And how long did the did it take the pro, the book writing process? Oh, again, that's a really hard question to answer because I started writing it what twelve years ago or something. Started doing all the research for it, and so right. it's grown through that and through my work with clients. Right. Uh, to write the book in its current format has taken me nearly a year from start to actually publishing. And since it's been published and you've been getting feedback from people and so on, are there thoughts now of making revisions or follow-up or or anything along those lines? Not at the moment because it seems to be working um, pretty well for people as it is, but it's only been out there for two months. So, you know, I'm I'm open to, to see what happens really, I think. Cool. Okay. And on, on the subject of books, is there is there a book that's moved you in any way that comes to mind? Do you know what? I recently read this fantastic book called You Can't Eat Love by an author called Leslie Davis. And she lost nearly £100. And she had, she did a lot of emotional eating. But at the beginning of the book, she talks about how when she realised when she was sliced, it's a very um, descriptive pa- passage about how she's cutting the meat and eating the fat from it. And as she's eating it, it's taking her back to her childhood memories with her her family, her grandparents, her uncles, her aunts, and, you know, all the bigger family. And she realises that she's trying to eat love, which is where the title came from, You Can't Eat Love. And actually, I was lucky enough to meet her fairly recently on, on Zoom. She lives in America. But she is such a lovely, compassionate lady who's really been through this whole struggle herself. And that just absolutely comes across in her book. So if anyone out there is listening to this and they're really struggling with their emotional eating, I would really mm. highly recommend that book, You Can't Eat Love. Okay, well, we'll put, we'll put links to that in the show notes. Is, I know you've got, you mentioned about some of the courses, you mentioned about some of the courses that you have. What courses, I mean, are the courses all available online? Yes, they're online courses. The first course people can go and do at any time they want. I mean, if they go to my website, it's dawncookow.com. We were just talking about my surname before. It's quite a complicated surname. Actually, it's like the word cuckoo, but instead of the last O, put a W on it. So dawncookow.com. And on there, you can find out, you can actually go on and anytime you want to start that mini course on your own. And is it just the one course or are there any others? Well, that's the one course to find out what's triggering your cravings, what's triggering your belly fat, what's triggering your overeating. But then the second course is a group course. So I run them at set times. So I'm not running one at the moment, right. but I'm probably thinking in the next few months I'll run another course. So if you're interested, drop me a line, sign up to my mailing list, um, and, and you'll be, you can be the first to know about it. And so if people want, are you, are you active on social media at all? I am. I have an Instagram account and a Facebook account that I have started posting um, maybe three times a week typically on it. So some fun things, like there's some fun quizzes on there. There's um, just useful tips to help you if you're struggling. And this week I'm doing a promotion with some other authors on Eating Disorders Week, and we've, we've all reduced our books. for um, So they're all less than $4.99 because it's mainly with people in America. What are your social media handles so people can oh, find you? Um, it's, it's face, Instagram is Dawn. And mm-hmm. Facebook is Dawn Cookout the Body Effect. Right. Okay. But if you are struggling to find them, you can access them via my website. Right. And, and finally, Dawn, is there, um, is there a quotation that comes to mind that, that resonates with you? 
Do you know what? There is a lovely quotation and I use it at the start of my book and it's by Jim Rohn and it's take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. And why does that resonate with you? Well, for many, many years, I didn't look after my own body. I was bulimic for a couple of years. And for years before that, I struggled with eating. Um, and it's, it's not a good way to treat your body. And whilst it's never too late to start to look after your body, it's, it's so important to do it. I mean, if you don't look after your body, you're not going to feel healthy. You're not going to have the energy you want. You'll end, probably end up with aches and pains. You know, your body is really complex. And it's just so important to look after it. And especially as you get older as well, your body can probably withstand more when you're young. Then you reach a certain age where actually you react, you know, years of, of neglect will show up one way or another. Well, Dawn, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Um, and yeah, maybe speak to you again sometime. Uh, thank you so much, Tony. It's been great chatting to you. Next week is episode 64 with Adele Spragon, who is an award-winning author, thought leader, and international speaker and trainer. She's won a few awards recently, including Woman of Inspiration and the Top Behavioural Expert of the Year. And we dig into things such as patterns of procrastination, avoidance, quitting, and we go into a lot of areas of behaviour. So that's next week, episode 64 with Adele Spragon. If you know anyone who gets some value from this week's episode with Dawn Cookow, please do share the episode with them and hope you have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.